planet B. Here we are with episode four of Colton Culture. This episode features Juan Alderte from uh, Racer X, Mars Volta, and a bunch of other stuff. Dr. Octagon. I'm looking forward to today's uh, podcast uh, with, with Juan because we're both bass players. Um, he recently featured me on his Pedals and Effects uh, podcast. And um, I don't know, it's it's a trip because, uh, I mean, he's we have a lot of similarities, but there's so many things that are different. And, I, and you know, his musicianship, uh, I think, excels mine uh, in so many ways, uh, especially since he's a Grammy winner and things like that, which I probably never will ever be part of. But regardless, <laughs> <laughs> regardless, it, it, it's a trip to, because I, I really respect him in, in, in so many ways. And I really think um, his yep. accomplishments and his involvement in, in so many different things is so impressive. Yeah, he's on like on each side of the spectrum, too, from doing so many just different projects not just sticking to one style and as a bass player myself and you as well I know a lot of bass players and he was just on bass player magazine on the cover even yeah and I I think that's just so rad like being a little kid I used to read bass player magazine <laughs> and now my son does his he loves uh-huh. the bass and I just I'm excited to hear what he has to say it's a lot of a lot of bass happening. Yeah, <laughs> bass in your face. Yeah, yeah, three <laughs> bass players today. Here we are with Juan. Can you? I would prefer you to like kind okay. of introduce yourself sure. and tell us what you you know your your resume. I guess sure, you know? sure. Um, it spans like, quite a lot of Hell stuff. Yeah. Um, All right. So um, my name is Juan Alderete de la Peña. Um, I'm Born in Los Angeles, and I lived in L.A. till like I was, you know, a little kid, eight years old or whatever. We moved to San Diego, lived in San Diego for a year, and then went to the Bay Area, and then I kind of grew up in the Bay, and then came back to L.A. to go to music school, like when I was twenty or whatever, and then a which school? Uh, Musicians Institute. Okay. <clears throat> you know, when I was in the eighties, because I'm fifty three years old, so in the eighties, like. I was obsessed with Zappa and I wanted to like, how do you get in Frank Zappa's band? And so <laughs> well, you got to be a good musician uh-huh. and sight read. And I was like, shit, yeah. I didn't know that. Cause I didn't know how. And so I'm like, all right. But I, the crazy thing is I was obsessed with Zappa, but by the time I got accepted to the school and made enough money to move down, my favorite band was Killing Joke. Wow. And so I was, I didn't want to be in Zappa's band anymore. And they were like, well, fuck, but I'm in this school. What am I going to do? Well, yeah. we're in LA, whatever. And my, friend who I moved down with we were like maybe we should just move to London fuck it you know so we talked about moving to London but our parents were flipping out and then we're like nah maybe we should just stick with LA <clears throat> and then we started a band where it was kind of like Simple Minds me killing joke and then I meet Paul Gilbert from Racer X and I said I know I'm in a fucking shred metal band so was Racer X a band before you joined it? no Paul Gilbert got a record deal um, with this indie label called Shrapnel who put out uh-huh. like pretty much individuals who shredded, you know, all the shred school dudes from that era. And, but Paul was more, always wanted to be more rock. Like he wanted to be in a band. He's uh-huh. like, I don't want it to be my name. I want, I'd rather be in a band. Like he loved Van Halen, he loved ACDC. And so when I met him, like really the main reason I, I got in his band was because a drummer I moved to LA with got a call because Paul needed a drummer. And so he was gonna go for this audition. He goes, well, my roommate's a bass player and we kind of have a band and Paul goes, well, bring him, I need a bass player. 
So he hired me and he didn't hire my roommate. No way. Which was always <laughs> weird, but yeah. Uh, and then Paul hired me because he said in my face, he said, he goes, well, you're the first dude I've ever met who can play on bass when I play on guitar. Because I, I just had this ability when I was younger to just shred yeah. hella fast. Okay. I wasn't into it. Yeah. I just could do it. Uh-huh. And, you know, at that point too, I was like, by the time I met Paul, which was six months into me going to music school, I was getting way into hip hop because my little brother was into it. So what year was this? This is like 80, fuck, let me think about this. 85, yeah, 85. Eight, March of 85, I moved to LA to, to, for music school. So this is like Run DMC, Raising Hell, and-, no, and before be- all that, like oh. fucking Nucleus and like, uh, I mean- First BC Boys license? No, no, before that. So it'd be like, let me think about this. I got to think of black because I my little brother had a lowrider and then when I moved to LA he's just like take my lowrider I'm gonna get another lowrider so I I showed up to LA in wow, a lowrider yeah. and I had bumping speakers so I would just remember what I would bump and I would bump like Nucleus UTFO um, first LL I think was probably out by then definitely and uh-huh. then. Um, so it was kind of like all New York stuff, sure. but it was definitely drum machine, uh, not yeah. so much sampling, more like, you know, that kind of shit. Yeah. And I was way into that. So uh-huh. when Paul would get into my lowrider, I would always be bumping. I went, listen to that snare. Yeah. Listen to that bass drum. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like, I don't get it, you know? Wow. But I was still like shredding because I was like, well, I want to make his record. He was making a record. Sure. I was like, fuck, I came here to make records. So make a record with this dude. So we... Next thing I knew, for three years, I was shredding, like, you know, standing in a room full of men, seeing how fast I could play wow. pretty much. So. It's crazy. I, I'm trying to wrap my head around it because I, I didn't realize um, how old you were. And then I knew about, like, Racer X. But when I was a little kid and I first started getting into music, so I was born in 75. So, like, around 85, I started discovering it. And I would always go to this record store to buy, like, Sex Pistols and Misfits records and stuff, and C Racer X cassettes. <laughs> right. And I, I'm assuming it's the same band. And right. I, and I and I I think I saw you guys play in in Phoenix at, at one point at, as a little kid. And I I don't know any I don't remember like where or That's what it was. Fucking gnarly because we we everybody goes where'd you guys tour? We we never toured. Did you this ever is play where there? we played? We played Phoenix. Okay. We hmm. played San Francisco, Oakland. We played L A. Of course, all over uh-huh. the place. We played one show in Chicago. And then we played like I think San Luis Obispo or yeah. somewhere like so that. So kind of like where you could pretty much just go to like in one night, right? Right, know? and because yeah, because we couldn't tour because yeah. we didn't have a record label tour support. Yeah. We didn't know how big we were. I mean, I think back then, if like an agent would have said, "Oh, you guys are doing really well, we yeah. could do so," but nobody, it wasn't like that back then. And so, yeah, we would, and we played Phoenix a couple times because yeah. we could. Wow, I mean, and crazy. our singer was from Phoenix. Okay, so he was in a band called Surgical Steel, uh-huh. and. Uh, there's some cheesy metal movie that Surgical Steel's in. I kind of yeah. wish I could remember what it is. I don't know. There was like this other band, Sacred Sacred Reich, I think was from Phoenix. Or uh, maybe it was like a show with them because I liked maybe, them. Maybe, maybe. anyhow, yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, because back then, you know, too, like I, I love telling people, it's like back then in the mid 80s and early, you know, mid 80s, the lines were really blurry with, totally. with speed metal, punk, metal. You know, you would see that on bills. You'd, we'd see some of these bands. I'm like, whoa, these dudes are thrashing crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul would hate that. Paul hated dissonance and all uh-huh. that shit. And I would, Bruce, the other guitar player, and I would be like, oh, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, because it was just, it was all like, you just didn't know. I mean, listen to like Suicidal. Like Suicidal was like, yeah. 
were they metal? We're like bad brains on yeah, fucking ISI. Yeah. Like it's like, are they metal? Yeah. Or what the fuck is this? Yeah. And then then it just started getting more defined. And then it's like, oh, you can't listen to that shit. You can't, you know. Sure. But I mean, back then I listened to everything. Yeah. You know, like you you because you know you you wanted to do everything. I wanted to be in every band. I was like, oh <laughs> fuck, I want to be in Killing Joke, but then I want to be in U two, but I also want to be yeah. in you know. But even like with the BC Boys stuff too, like all all their. Um, like there was like they had like Kerry King playing guitar on all of it, you know. Right. Like that's that's Rick like Rubin has like that. Sure. Yeah. But that like kind of that was really because I was already kind of into metal, and I think I probably would have been inevitably into the Beastie Boys. But I remember like just being like, "Fuck, this is the best mix!" Like hearing right. the first Beastie Boys record right. and already being like really into metal, it kind of like softened it. Where I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna dig." you know hip-hop too or whatever you know right, rap and right. it was like not an issue you know right totally so that that's wild okay so then um man so where do we go from there what did what did you do after that like what yeah so then you know what happened was we were so racer x couldn't get a record deal because like you know every label looked at us because like even like our second troubadour show so it was basically like this we did one show at the waters club i don't know if you remember that venue know. but a lot of punk shit came out of <laughs> watt and you know that whole thing it's in san pedro we played there like we had to sell tickets to get uh, yeah. people there but we you know we put a lot of people in there yeah. right after that like after our first show sold out sold out sold out sold out because we were like musicians were like yo check these dudes because these were like like it's not just like one Ingve Momstein or eddie van halen it's like every dude on their instrument is a fucking oh, ripper uh -huh. you got to see this band because i could rip the drums could rip guitars ripped so it would just sell out and so by the third show we did the troubadour and this is just fucking super it was like we did we we go there and fucking like tommy lee and nikki six show up and stephen piercy and somebody else from rat show up they all wanted to what's this new metal that yeah. everybody's so juiced about because you know when when you surge that quickly it catches yeah. everybody sure. and you know just tons of metal dudes from that era like do dudes and whatever they're all there to see us and we're fucking super nervous end of the show none of them are there they're probably all like oh fuck this this, yeah. work. this sucks because yeah. it's just shred it's like there's yeah. no songs and yeah. shit it's all based around making sure that you see how much we rip and it's yeah. some ways it pretty much was that so yeah so just we couldn't get a record deal but every label tr checked us out every label paid for a, sh a showcase and you know and they just would call me up because i ran the band business and shit and they would call me up like mm, if you get rid of the singer maybe we could uh -huh. talk and you know streamline the songs yeah and we were just like no fuck you <laughs> yeah. you know dumbass that's great i love it and then paul ended up getting a call from dudes who would eventually be mr big oh yeah so he split to do mr big so then we started a new band um the remaining members so it was the drummer scott travis bruce bouillet the other guitar player and me and we get a different singer um and then Scott gets in Judas Priest, and he's to this day the drummer in Judas Priest. So wow. he splits us, and we and Bruce and I are like, "Fuck, man, we're the losers." <laughs> we kept working, and we get the singer. This, we get the singer named John Karabi, and we get signed to Hollywood Records finally after uh -huh. years. This is like '92 or yeah. something, and we get signed, and then Motley Crue steals our singer. So then Bruce and I are like, "Fuck." Wait, who was the singer? This guy, John Karabi. He's the only guy who ever sang in Motley Crue besides Vince Neil. Wow. So then he ends up, you know, making tons of money. Bruce and I, fuck. Bruce and I are living in my grandmother's house in East Los Angeles. <laughs> I mean, she's not there, yeah. but we're living in there. We're like, we're broke. And we're like, 
the fuck did we do in our prior lives to <laughs> just not succeed like these dudes? And then we get a deal. I mean, we, we they let us continue our record deal with Hollywood Records, so we get a new singer, which huh. is like back then finding a singer without the internet was insane. Yeah, we we would like he would Bruce would go fly all over to go check out dudes in different club bands and shit. Eventually, get some singer from New York. We make this record with. By then, like I'm always switching my like what I'm into. By then, I'm way into the BC Boys and the singer and the guitar player into the Black Crows. So our kind of band ends up Whoa. sounding at a weird mish of mosh of that. What's shit. the name of this band? That band is we we called it the Scream because the first record oh, we did yeah. with the Motley Crue singer uh-huh. was in a band. I mean, uh, that was called the Scream. So the label's <laughs> like, you got to continue calling it the Scream. We're like, but we don't sound like that. Uh-huh. And so we end up. Putting out, a, or we end up putting a record together, and then it was like Mario Caldato, who Junior, who produced the Beastie Boys and mixes all mm-hmm. this shit. He engineered and produced and mixed it. Um, we did some tracks with the Dust Brothers, but we didn't put that on the record. I mean, we were all. In, I was hip hop. I go, I'm only doing it if we do this. Whoa! And so they were like, all right, and then. That shit failed, you know. Hollywood <laughs> dropped us uh-huh. because it was just weird, like because we could because we couldn't agree. Like there's some rock shit still, but there was some hip hop loops and shit. How did you feel knowing that you were going to be produced by Mario C? Oh, dude. I mean, I was just like I was way into Check Your Head. Like yeah, I liked the first yeah. record, of course, because I was into hip hop. Yeah. But I did think that they were a little corny on the mic. Mm-hmm. Um, Huh. But check your head, fuck no. That check yeah. your head was like it fucked everybody up. Sure, it fucked sure. punk people up. It fucked everybody up. That today, that record to me is still <laughs> yeah. one of the greatest records yeah. of all time. Because wow. those dudes said they went fuck. We're rolling into L.A. and watch how we flip shit, and yeah. they flipped sure. it. And so, Mar, you know, Mario introduced us to you know, like we met Mario through the Dust Brothers, but Mario also introduced us to Money Mark, mm-hmm. and then. Our, la- our our logo was done by Eric Hayes. I don't know if you know uh-huh. that. But he, go look at all those early 90s hip hop records. Eric Hayes did all the logos. He oh, did the wow. Beasties. He did everybody's uh-huh. logo. King T, fuck you name nice. it. And then we got Glenn Friedman, who you know. Yeah. He did our photos. Wow. Um, I mean, we were all the way in. Like, yeah. we want to make sure that the Check Your Head fans check our record out. And that never happened. Get dropped. <laughs> and then, you know, after that, like struggling, trying to figure out what to do. And then, like, I just like, fuck, I'm, I got to figure out what I really want to do. Uh-huh. And then Manny was doing Distortion Felix. And I'm like, fuck, I think I kind of want to do this with him. And so I started doing. What year was that? Because... That was probably, Manny was already doing it in like 90. Oh, he was already, you didn't, he started the band. He started the, he had already started the band. So when the Locust played with him, when I met him, were you I was in, in the band. I was okay. at, I played bass. Actually, we, it was like Locust, Distortion Fields yeah. Open, Locust, at the drive-in. We yeah. went into, at the drive-in's dressing room uh-huh. to ask him if we could go on late because there was nobody in the venue. And it's like, say we were supposed to go on at eight. Right. Yeah. I don't know what time we were supposed yeah. to go, but we're supposed to go on at eight. There's nobody in the venue. Yeah. So we we're like, look, can we go on at eight fifteen and we'll just play fifteen minutes instead of the thirty minutes? And fucking I'm pretty sure it was Paul Drake, their uh-huh. tour manager, but yeah. they were all sitting there and Paul Drake's like, Nope, gotta go on now. And so we're like, Fuck, all right. We went on. Yeah. We went on in front of no one. There was nobody there. Yeah. By the time we finished, there was people there. Yeah. And then of course when you guys went on, there was a shit ton of people. And we there. probably only played fucking maybe 25 30 minutes yeah, yeah. I, and i remember i 
not to blow smoke, but I was floored by you, dude. We were was, a five piece then too. Yeah, is, right, yeah, right. Not even. And I remember telling man, I'm like, these motherfuckers are <laughs> smoking everybody on this bill. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was just like, fuck. I mean, I I watched a little bit after driving, but I wasn't my thing. But you dudes, I was like, But that's an interesting, fuck. thank you. But that's interesting to even say because if you think about like where you come from, like all these p- dudes shredding in like the 80s, you know, right. like in metal. And I think like at the drive-in fans, when we when we played with them, both as a five-piece and a four-piece, no one ever liked us, you know, except Whoa. at the drive-in. People were just right. like, what the right. fuck is this? It, it, with the exception of Japan, because I think they're <laughs> Japanese people are just the best. Or yes, whatever. Definitely. But other, any, any U.S. shows, it was just like, why are we opening for this band? Like they're really cool and we really like them, but like right. their fans were just like, fuck this. You know? <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, I remember that show people being <clears throat> into you though. Huh? At that Troubadour show. So I do. And I mean, maybe cause Manny and I were yelling our asses off, but I remember going, fuck. I remember thinking at that point, I'm like, I used to think Manny, what we did was pretty like crazy. Cause yeah. it was just, so onslaught of low end because he would tune his guitar down yeah. to A and, yeah. so, and I'd be hella low and yeah. it's just fucking low end but I saw you guys I'm like oh fuck it's this kids play everybody else's kids play to this shit this shit is <laughs> fucking everybody up uh. and then and then I like just so I can get this in then cut to like probably the next time I think I see you guys is at the All Tomorrow's Party and I always tell people they came on and fucked everybody up at all tomorrow's party. Oh. I remember just going, like Jonathan and I was grabbing each other, going, "Fuck, they're pretty much killing everybody right now." <laughs> like at least, oh, at the least, one that Mars Volta did, yeah, yeah okay. at least with like intensity, sure. like yeah, yeah. Diamanda. I'm not yeah. putting her in that uh-huh. same group of bands or whatever. I'm, I'm putting any bands that were like bringing sure. a lot of intensity. Sure. And yeah, I was just like, you guys. Rolled and smoked everybody again. I was like, "Fuck the but locust, it, but, dude!" But, it, but again, like you think about the aesthetic of it, because like we, because I, the locust did the ATP with Mike Patton and the Melvins, mm-hmm. and we were more kind of in line with a lot, you know, like right. or Phantomos played, you know, right. you're like, okay, right. that we weren't like the odd band necessarily, because right. the one that the Mars Volta did, it was like, damn, we're a little bit brutal or, or too brutal for like. Right. most people you know right. I was I was because you can feel it when you're playing you know you know how it is you look at the crowd and you're like dude these people are bummed you know and I, I mean I, I would see that but the funny thing is too like even not to, I would like to move away from the locust yeah. stuff but but I remember playing the show at um the El Rey with I think Murder City Devils or something and um Omar and Cedric were there and this is like kind of like when we were maybe about to go to Japan or something we're doing do a real tour with uh I guess it was at the drive-in and um Anyhow, they were like backstage, and they kind of were like peering out by 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 Gabe, and there and I remember like I remember like Cedric like cheering on like you know whatever Gabe was playing, and um it was so funny because we we're playing, and I see the crowd, you know, Mercy Devils are great, they're old friends of ours, and but people are you know were just kind of like not that into it, and all of a sudden there's like this huge reaction from the crowd. I turn around and I'm like fucking Cedric he's on stage like next to Gabe like headbanging and shit and like the crowd responded to him and we're like okay here we go that makes sense that's awesome <laughs> Cedric, Cedric kind of always gets the audience yeah, yeah I know I know <laughs> so it's crazy because uh, I, I love Manny he's a brilliant person and I and I and I'm and I was so grateful that I because I ended up working with him on on, on some records uh, with retox and stuff right and, um, right um, really stoked that whole thing happened so that's crazy so you were doing the band with manny and then right and that was we did like we did some touring like we uh 
our first record was put out by Johnny Temple from Girls Against Boys, and he had a label called Akashic Records. He still has Akashic Books, which is very, <clears throat> I don't know if you know, but like they're, they put out like uh, tons of really great books, top New York top sellers, but also, you know, he put out Les Claypool's book. He just put out the Garbage book. Uh. Um, you know, he'll, he likes to put out, you know, bands, books, books. like if like they're telling a story sure. or whatever. You, I think Omar at one point was going to put out his photo book. Huh. So Johnny's awesome, but he put out our first record, and so we toured with Girls Against Boys a little, and then we, we toured. Was with, that a little rough too, though? Cause nah, I mean, we we were kind of more like I mean we were like back then like we were kind of a spectacle. Manny sang and ripped, but I used to go fucking bananas, and yeah. so it was like you're always going to be. Even if you don't dig the music, if you have somebody who's a spectacle, sure. the audience is going to be kind of into okay. it. So, you know, yeah. that's kind of the thing with our band. And then um, we toured with New Wet Kojak, um, which is Johnny and Scott from Girls Against Boys, other band. And then that's where I met Sugar from Buffalo Daughter. Buffalo, it was like Distortion Felix, Buffalo Daughter, Girls Against Boys, I think, oh. was the tour. And then, um, yeah, so it was cool, like just doing that stuff and seeing, like, I felt that finally I was like playing music that I was meant to play. Oh, sure. And then, um, and then I started my own band, Big Sur, which is kind of more, I mean, back then they used to call it trip hop, but I, I didn't even know what the fuck that music sure. was. I just was into hip hop yeah. and I wanted her to sing on it. I wanted to play bass on it, but it was drum loops. And I started that band with Tim from Rage Against the Machine. It was two bass. We wanted to do like a two oh. bass thing, like a, like morphine. But Did you play funky. live like that? He never played live with us. We just made a record together. Uh -huh. So did it was you, me. Did that thing play live though? At some yeah, uh, yeah, without and drums. No, with drums. We uh -huh. had we had a, this friend of ours, Troy, played drums. But it was so it was pretty much just a three piece. Lisa would play keys and uh -huh. sing, and then I'd play bass, and we'd have a drummer. And then you know, so I was doing two bands. I was doing Distortion Felix, Big Sur, and and then you know just sessions and shit. And then you know one day Manny was like, hey, these dudes are going to call you a um, member uh, at the drive-in. Like, yeah, and you know, they have the news band, Mars Volta. You know, I saw them at a bar, uh -huh. and they were like, you know, saying, oh, they were bummed. They, they can't find a bass player. And I said, you should take my bass player. And they were like, why would you give up your own bass player? And he's like, because I think they'd, he would be perfect for you guys. Yeah. And then, you know, I get a call from Omar when he was in Europe, and... um they were coming home for a couple of weeks in between like six weeks of Europe tour and then chili peppers run. And I, they were, I mean, from what I could understand was auditioning me, but after the first day of, re, of auditions, I was like thinking like, Oh, there's somebody probably outside who's going to come in. I got to take my shit out. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I go, should I take my shit? And Omar's like, no, you can leave it here. You know, bring it tomorrow. And I'm like, Huh, and then I started thinking in my head, am I the only dude auditioning? <laughs> you know, <and laughs> that then, was it, huh? They're, well, they're... I mean, it's because like now, as I know them, uh -huh. of course, I was the only dude auditioning. They didn't want to like go through a cattle call. That's yeah, not their, their yeah, style. Yeah. I went back the next day, played for a couple hours, and then after that, he told me, or you know, like I said, I go, hey man, I, I didn't play today. I didn't play as well today as I did yesterday. Uh -huh. I'm gonna work on it for sure. And then he was just like, well, you better because we have a show on Friday. And, and I'm were like, like, oh, in the fuck, band. am I in? Yeah. And he's like, well, I didn't tell you. Yeah, you're in. <laughs> so, and you that know. was with John Theodore? Yeah. Did you already know him? No. No. And um, I, I think I saw him because I'm pretty sure Manny and I played a show with Royal Trucks. Uh -huh. And I'm 
he should have been the drummer. Yeah. I don't know if he was, yeah. but I don't because I don't remember. I don't think we. I it was in San Francisco, and I didn't stay for the show because uh. like my family's from up there, so I split right yeah. after we played. So he might have been there. Uh. I don't. I just knew he was in Royal Trucks before, but um, but I knew of him. And then, um, but yeah, and then fuck first show was the Troubadour. Everybody that was into that what we were doing at that point was there like Ian McKay was uh-huh. there Rick Rubin was there John Frusciante was oh, there yeah. System of Down dudes were there Weezer dudes yeah. were there like all these people same thing that 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 thing that we're, oh there's this band with heat and then uh-huh. all these bands go to see it you know sure. at the Troubadour again and I was like this is weird <laughs> and get this the funny shit the funniest shit of that night though was that it was my first show with them and the whole night before I'm fucking ball tripping like sweaty just like these dudes are gonna fire me when they see the Racer X photo in the front bar. There's a photo <laughs> of Racer X from the 80s that we all signed, and there's me with giant fucking poodle hair. And I'm like, they're gonna fire me. I'm, or they're gonna just like flip out and go, wait, I think we made the wrong move. But well, those guys have poodle hair too, though. Well, but it was like, you know, it was like, they're, and they're gonna see how old I am. Uh-huh. And so, you know, anyway, so I'm walking up to the venue and I'm pretty nervous and I see Jeremy and Jeremy starts laughing and I'm like, oh fuck. And I go, the fuck, they saw the photo, right? And Jeremy's like, dude, don't worry. It's fucking awesome. I love it. I'm like, all right. And then I go backstage up the stairs, yeah. dun, 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 <laughs> take a left turn, open the door, screaming, laughing at me. And I'm like, oh fuck. And then I'm like, man, dude, you don't know how embarrassed I am. So Cedric, they just didn't know who you were? Or something? Yeah, and Cedric's like, dude, we fucking love this. No, it's cool. Fuck yeah. yeah no, yeah, don't worry. Yeah. No, I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. And, you know, but they still thought I was their age. It wasn't until like a month into the band that I told them how old I was and they couldn't believe that. Like, yeah. What? Yeah. Like Omar's like, I thought you were my age, maybe yeah. even younger. And yeah. I'm like, what? fuck, I'm <laughs> yeah. 12 years older than Omar. Yeah. I'm 10 years older than Cedric. Yeah. And they couldn't believe it. So that was like my whole hidden past with them. And then they finally started figuring it out. Then so who'd I, you replace? Because Flea was in the band. Well, right? he played. He made the record. Yeah. Eva was the original bassist on oh, the EP. Yeah. Oh, I remember. And then they had their friend Ralph after her and he didn't work out. And then they had this Rick Rubin's engineer, Jason later. Uh He did that European tour that they were on before I met them. And then I was in the band for 10 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I was basically on tour for pretty much 10 years. Well, because when Mars Volta wasn't touring, I did every Omar solo tour, which we were always touring. Sure. So yeah, it was some gnarly shit, you know, And, and going from like, Oh, we're on this, you know, uh, Perfect Circle tour, or whatever tour it was, yeah. Chili Peppers or System of a Down, and you're like, you know, big arenas. And then Omar's like, all right, we're going to Europe next week. And then it's like, oh, we're in a van with like, wait, 12. like, oh, we're going to Europe next week. Yeah, like, like <laughs> after, as soon as this tour's done, we're going to Europe for a solo tour. Uh-huh. And then Omar, me, Marcel, maybe the Horn dude, and, uh-huh. you know, film people, and just we'd be all cramped in a van and we'd tour Europe for like two weeks, come back. Go back out with Mars Volta. Wow. Home. Yeah. And it was like that for years. And fucking gnarly. Huh. He was, yeah. He's because he, you know, he was just addicted to being out on the road and, and constantly touring and working. Sure. Um, so I'm, I, I'm obsessed Ooh. with drummers. Yeah. So did you do stuff with Zach Hill in Mars Volta? Yeah. So um, we did a, this was after John was in the band. I think it was when Thomas might have been or Blake. One of those dudes were in the band. Um, but we always wanted to do a record with Zach Hill uh-huh. and, um, 
you know, I was always I was friends with Zach too. Yeah. Um, when we toured with System of Down, Hella opened up part of the tour when they uh, were five piece. Sure. Um, so you know, but I knew I knew of Zach through Manny because Hella was going to make a record at Manny's. Uh. So Manny gave me that demo, and I remember listening to the demo, and going, "What the fuck? What are the demo doing? before the first record?" Fuck, I want to say after that. Uh-huh. I, I think this was like 2000, and John Theodore and I were listening to it before we made Francis the Mute. Uh-huh. And he was like, whoa, dude, this is fucking crazy. Yeah, like, yeah this is hella. Not only, you know? yeah. So anyway, but we've known each other a long time, and Omar knew them, and, and we were big fans of hella. And yeah, finally that came together. And so it was Jonathan, Hishki, me, Zach, Omar and then Cedric put vocals on later Different and then yeah. uh, Sergeant House put that out um, but that was awesome the only thing I ever got to do is Zach Hill yeah um, he's such a great guy though yeah yeah I, then, actually I played on a I played on a Frank Ocean like on this last record which is which one's this one called Blonde right Blonde so there's a song on there that has Zach and me on it Frank Ocean yeah huh. yeah yeah, it's just because Frank had Zach go in and they hit me up in the middle of the night and unfortunately I missed the call because I was asleep. Yeah. They were like midnight or something. And come through the studio. But um, I went on later and I recorded on some stuff that Zach had played on. Huh. And then what about um, Thomas Pridgen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found Thomas through... Um, oh, you brought him into the band. I mean, Omar, Omar and I would like look for drummers, but I would... I mean, I was just more connected in the shredder musician sure. world, and and there's needed... a level that you have to match. You can't just get like a rock drummer, right? Dude. And yeah. you know, because John was insane, he was amazing, yeah, and so you know, when when things were falling out between um, Omar and John, um, he was already bringing Blake back into the picture. So mm. Blake was the original Mars Volta. He drummer. was on the Tremulant EP. No, no? Oh. he never made it to a record. Oh, okay, and then he came in and then he just didn't click with all of us. So then I, Omar's like, you know, oh no, that's right. I had already found this guy. Well, Jonathan Hishke had told me about this guy, DeAntony. And he's like, check this dude out on MySpace. Yeah. Whoa. It's this thing called Asteroid Power Up. And so then we wanted to get rid of Blake. So, you know, Ike and Paul and I would be like, hey, when Omar looks like he's walking onto our bus, play asteroid power up and we're like yeah and then omar will go who is this and so sure enough like fucking clockwork omar walks onto our bus and we're playing it and he's like who's this and i'm like that's that motherfucker d this is the dude we need to get blake's not our yeah. drummer you yeah. know <laughs> wow and it was so, like that cool yeah <laughs> and then and then finally after it was just wasn't working out with blake he's like get a hold of d and then d drummed for us on a chili pepper tour but he he had his own band. He wouldn't. He wasn't ready to join. Mm-hmm. So then, at that point, I had already had a couple other drummers that I had found. So yeah. Thomas was one of them. Thomas came in. Well, somehow or another, like they just were. They loved him because there was only one video we can find at the time we met him, uh-huh. where he's in his grandmother's basement and he's just ripping yeah. drums. Like, yeah. And they were like, "We want that." Yeah. So he was like, "I want that yeah. energy." So we got him. But Thomas is difficult to wrangle in. So yeah, it's always sure. a lot of work. Sure. And then we went back to D'Antony. Uh-huh. Oh. And so then D'Antony ended up doing the last record and last whatever touring that we did. Yeah. So Wow, it's such a crazy lineage of of stuff. You know, even yeah. like even the Thomas Pritchard stuff is crazy. Like and then he went and played in Trash Talk. And you're like, right. that's a, that's the weirdest thing. But so the funny thing is when you were telling me about like when you were first playing, you know, like your like those early shows at the Tributor when you guys were all ripping and all the all the other people there to see you guys right. and you guys were just like all everyone shredding. 
that's kind of like how I felt when when Mars Volta came about. You're like, I was like, I mean, like, because we all we liked it. We're like, dude, they're all ripping. But why is this appealing to the mainstream? Because we, we were really confused by that. Like, it made sense why At The Drive-In would be because it has, like, it's right. more hookier. And sure. then we would play, you know, the Locust would play these shows with Mars Volta and be like, what in the fuck is going on? Like, you know, it's complicated music. Um, and, and, and everybody's, everybody's like, the, I mean, there was obviously melody and there was all, great songwriting, but there was, like, this level of, of uh, I guess, like... Um, like from a you know from like this the perspective of like music theory or something you're just like this is an onslaught of just stuff you know and i, and I, I mean one my my whole thing was i always thought the reason why people were so into it is because it didn't come from musical knowledge because you know omar doesn't know where notes are on the neck uh-huh. he doesn't give a fuck he uh-huh. just writes straight from instinct uh-huh. and he he really resonates with really high level musicians like Questlove, like sure. you know, like the Roots used to play a riff that Omar wrote, uh-huh. you know, that's on Francis and Mute. So you know what I mean? It's purely gut shit, and yeah. I think that's why he's he doesn't give a fuck about music knowledge or even shredding. Uh-huh. He just knew he had to get shredders to perform whatever it is that he he's, heard in his head. Yeah. So uh-huh. you get someone like John, get someone like me, you know, yeah. everybody pull them together, you know, and then you know it got pretty noodly by the third record and yeah architecture i mean for me like you know i mean i don't think the locust stuff's that complicated but there was times where i would hear like mars volta stuff coming out and i had to sit down with it and like really try to study it you know and like so what was the first record you did Francis Amin. I mean, that record is one of them. I was, yeah. I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, you know? and and the, the thing too, like people would always ask, like, yeah, man, live, you guys would fucking go all over the place, blah blah. Yeah. blah. And it's like, it's kind of not that complicated. It's like you play this part of the song, and then you jam for fucking for, for. forty minutes, and then <laughs> there's so many signals that you have to go to the end, and then you play the end. So you only really know two parts, uh-huh. you know, the beginning and the end. The rest of it is just hookups, what we called hookups, yeah. and it would just be like, you know you'd start knowing each other's wrists and like, wow. oh, I know where Omar's going or or yeah. John would go, oh, I know where Juan's going or I'd uh-huh. be like, oh, I know where Juan, uh, John's going. Yeah, sure. And so we would just sit there and chase each other and Ike and Marcel would just like texture outside sure. of us but, you know, us three were so loud, meaning the drums, the bass and the guitar were so loud you yeah. couldn't hear anything else. That's crazy because I, I would, I, I, I guess I would never see like you guys play consecutively. It'd always be like, here's a show and then, I would see those jams and just assume that it was like a rehearsed kind of thing, you know, and be like, how the fuck is When I joined the band, we used to do like a set list and then like within that year or something like that, like we'd get the set list and it'd be like two songs. Yeah, like, yeah. This is weird. Yeah. And it'd be like, Roulette Dares and Secretries. And I'm like, okay. And then in next day, be Secretries and Roulette Dares. And then or whatever. Yeah. It would just be like two or three song sets and it was just like, stretch it. And I, I mean, I have no huh. idea why they went into that zone, but they were into it. And so then so, what would Cedric do? Because that seems like dancing. it's almost like the hardest. Yeah, he would dance and sing, climb on shit. Yeah, you know, but that's kind of crazy, crazy shit. too, huh? Yeah. You're the singer and you're, you know, you're, there's a 40 minute jam, you know, like, where are you, what are you gonna do for 40 minutes? Like climb? Yeah, <laughs> climb and, on and, a you know, ad lib and do a little bit of ad lib uh, vocal, but he was into it. Like uh, it, it was, it was wild times. Like I'll never live through something like that again. Yeah. You know, stressful shit. Cause you know, it is just stressful being in a band like that with volatile, you know, personalities and stuff. Uh, and you know, everybody's just so intense, yeah. you know? And so, but 
you know, fuck, man, some of the memories, like, I just remember just, like, like when we did, like, Big Day Out, for example, the first Big Day Out I did with him, you know, every show we'd look to the side and there'd be fucking somebody famous watching us. Yeah. And we'd just be like, and they'd be into it. And we're like, whoa, this is weird. Like, yeah. oh, the Strokes are watching us. Why? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's Metallica. Well, that makes sense. Uh -huh. You know? But then, you know, oh, there's M.I.A. Why is she watching us? Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. All that makes sense to me. Black key, uh, yeah. you know, black eyed peas. Uh -huh. Black eyed peas are watching us. What? Why? But yeah. black eyed peas loved us. Yeah. They would shout us out in the mic and shit. Yeah. We were like, what? Black eyed peas are shouting uh -huh. out. Yeah, our bros are more involved. We're like, yeah. what? This yeah. is fucking weird. Yeah. Well, they were probably like, we want that cool like credibility. Like, we're friends with them, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> and man, probably because they're older, they're stoners. So, like, yeah. stoners, you know, when you're a stoner, man, you can listen to some fucking dumb shit and, and think it's good. <laughs> I'm not saying we were. I'm, I don't mean it like a guy who's like, well, I'll call, no. But I'm yeah. just saying, like, you know what I mean? Like, if I'm high, I'll get into shit I would never get into straight. straight. You wow. know what I mean? Uh -huh. I just, I mean, I don't smoke weed. Yeah. But when I did, yeah, yeah you hear shit differently. Uh -huh. Definitely. I, at least I do. So. That's a weird thing to think about. I always tripped out because in The Locust, everyone was into smoking weed except me. And I was like, I, there was so many times where jokingly they'd be like, dude, you got to start smoking weed if you want to make this like a real group. And I was like, I'm not going to smoke weed. You know, I mean, I did like once or twice with them, but I was like, it's not my jam. But I would think like, I would, I would sit there at rehearsal and I, you know, and I really like what we're writing. And I'm like, what the fuck are those guys thinking right now? You know, like all right. three of them are super baked and I'm not, but I felt like, you know, we were all on right. this linear thing, but it's a weird, it's a weird perspective when you're I not. Don't, I, to be honest with you, like Cedric wouldn't smoke before we'd go on. Cause he had a sing. Omar didn't either. Like maybe mm. a, I mean, it would be like a 0.1% of the time. Like, yeah. I mean, Marcel and Ike would, um, and D'Antoni and Thomas would, but sure. like those dudes didn't, I didn't, you know, yeah. like I, I just, I can't, I gotta be, it's just so hard. My job, I always felt was, no, I shouldn't say it was the hardest, but it was definitely the most, you had to be the most disciplined because everybody's going ape shit, but me. <laughs> yeah. So, and the drums are going ape shit and who's going to get first knocked off the boat me so i couldn't get knocked off and then you know also so would you just kind of like watch the drummer like constantly oh, man i used to stare at john's bass drum i wouldn't even look at the audience and the first year yeah. playing i would just watch his bass drum yeah and wow. i'd stand like i could feel the wind of his hi-hats mm -hmm. that's how close i would stand mm -hmm. him and i just for a lot of reasons we wanted to be that tight but we you know because he goes man i wish you could just stand behind me i wish you could yeah. just be as close as you could yeah. get to me so i would just do that He's like i wish you could just be inside of me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's how we got a lot of hookups and you yeah, know, sure. like, but, but anyway, but you know, I knew when we went into in ears when we started playing with in ears and clicks, like everybody, I'd see them get their mixes up and they like, all right, I need click, I need one. It'd always be that I need click and I need one yeah. and then myself yeah. or whatever that is, because and if my amp went out, the entire band would flip and stare at me because. Fuck, where you're gonna go with the drums? They're not gonna tell you where you are in the show. Wow, that's so wild. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Like, and 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 you know, Cedric, if you see a lot of times, he stands like in front of the bass yeah. room because, you know, he he needs the that's visual the, cue. Yeah, because yeah. Omar's going ambient, uh -huh. or he's yeah. going crazy, uh -huh. and the keys are going crazy, uh -huh. and so you need that bass, yeah. and the drums are always crazy. So that's so crazy. 
That's so. That's kind of like what the locust did when we had like a line. We would set up in a in a in a, in a line, and Gabe would be up front because a lot of it for us too, having masks. You know, we right. would need a, some sort of peripheral vision to, you know, you don't, you know, you don't want to. Right. It was more aesthetic. You don't right. want to look right. at the drummer. Right. So, right. so I'd, I'd always have to see the his arm and his leg. You know, like always need to be able to see that. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and totally. also too, as a singer, which I, I guess Cedric probably had the same thing. Like, if you don't have like a good, because I've never had any ears or anything, but like if you can't like hear the kick or see when something's about to land like it sucks and it's such a bummer to be a singer and think like i gotta completely turn around and watch that guy yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, so, totally. so if, you, if you have peripheral vision you can you can see the bass player or hear or whatever you right. know like that's then you're set and the bass kind of travels differently than all the high-end shit because mm-hmm. everything sits in the trouble world but the bass gets its own thing so if Cedric's standing by there like it's easier to feel it and hear uh-huh. it you know so, so he would try to him. like position himself to actually get it I mean he'd amp. be running around but if he had to yeah. sing some stuff like that back you know yeah. he would just you know but anyway but uh-huh. you know that you know John and I like I mean I, that's when I started I would face the drums I yeah. never looked out at the audience I would just face and stare at him and I continued that the rest of the drummers then eventually like you know I got to the point where the music started to get it a little bit simpler and I didn't need to but yeah. But, you know, it's just my, you know, it's just nice to be able to just be focused on that because nobody's looking at me. They're yeah. always looking at Cedric and then sometimes Omar. Yeah. <laughs> they're definitely, I'm the last motherfucker they're looking at. Stay, I don't even think the audience, so I used to tell people, like, I think people in the audience don't even know what the function of my instrument is. Like, what is that thing he's playing? Other than a guitar, but you know, this, I can't hear it. What yeah. the fuck is it? Yeah. It's, oh, it's this lute called the bass, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, like, it's so funny talking to you about all this because now I, I, I remember, like, seeing you guys play and, 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 and watching the dynamic that you would have, you know, with the drums, like it's such a weird, cause I, I would, as a bass player, I'd be like, well, that's, that's crazy. Look at that connection that's happening right there. You can see it, you know, if you, if you yeah. know it, but if you didn't know it, you'd be like, whatever, like, yeah, well, the we, guy with the hair that's fucking climbing up the, right. know, the side of the stage. Or whatever. Well, you know, the other thing that we'd always do, like, like we come out and they, we, they would only let the photographers, um, in the photography pit for half of the first song, then they'd have to get cleared out. Uh-huh. But there would always be, they'd be all up on Cedric, you know, it's like, yeah. get the singer. And Omar, you know, Omar would just, he'd just be like, you know, if they weren't on him, like, you know, or like sometimes like it'd be like somebody else would be soloing or something. And Omar would just try to do, like, get the camera and this dude's soloing and Cedric would be standing there drinking tea and they're taking photos of that yeah and they're taking pictures of that and yeah. he's like fuck this guy's this horn guy's soloing yeah wow, you idiots, <laughs> well you know? that's crazy yeah yeah it's, it's, it's every, everything was always combative in, in, in the live shows and I think as you gave it that energy cool, it was almost yeah, you almost cool. look for that like you know yell at the fucking monitor guy yeah, yeah, get yeah. fights with the security dudes it's always like bring that all into <laughs> yeah. it you know the and, energy makes yeah. it more intense yeah that's interesting so then the band disbanded. Yeah. And it's basically, you know. You were like, in it till the end? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, 2012 is actually, this month is like, like, or last month, I guess it was. It was June, I think. But it was like five years ago. So uh-huh. the band ended five years ago. I mean, I hear that they're going to do the band again. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure they will. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. But. Uh, You'll get the call. You're like, we have a show tomorrow. No, I won't get the call. <laughs> I won't get the call for a lot of reasons, but. But I, I'm sure they will do it. I mean, yeah. they should do it. Yeah. It's like, it's a great band and, and I hope they do it, uh-huh. you know, because it's like, it did fuck people up. I like yeah. anything that fucked people sure. up, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, but yeah, it just, you, know, you could tell it's like their communications, everybody's communication was fucked at yeah. the end. And so then I also heard that he was starting a new band, Bosnian Rainbows, yeah. and then Cedric was doing solo. Cedric goes, hey, do you want to do the solo band with me? And I was like, 
I mean, what am I going to say? No, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing anything either. You so know? who was so, in that? So in the beginning, it was Cedric and Johnny Polanski and me, and then we got this guy Greg uh, Rogov who plays in Devenger Bonhart's band. Uh-huh. So he was our drummer, and then Johnny just couldn't afford to do it, and so we got Dan Elkin who played in Hella. He played guitar, and uh, Nate Walcott, who he's uh, Bright Eyes Keys, and mm. then he Desperados, I think, and then he's also in the Chili Peppers now playing keys. But he was a keyboard player, and so we made a bunch of recordings, and we did one run where it was Dot Hacker, who's Josh Klinghoffer, yeah. Hishkey's band, and then Zavala's is what it was called, and we did one like you know one week or one and a half week, two week run where we went up the coast. We opened for the Chili Peppers in Alaska. And that was pretty much it. After what started happening is everybody started running out of money. And the guitar player, Dan, actually, I was the first one. I started playing in Deltron 3030. Because I told Seth, yo, I'm running out of money. I'm going to do this Deltron 3030 thing. And he was cool. He was like, you know, all right, I understand. But then Dan, the guitar player, was like, oh, I just got a call from Broken Bells. I got to go do it. Uh I still want to be in the band. And then that was just like not cool. And then next thing you know, he was doing uh, that other band. Was that Travis? Was that band called? Animas. Yeah, yeah. Then he was Uh doing, he went to go do Animas. And then so Zavala's never took off. And so then I spent. Are there any records out or recordings? No. There's recordings, but there's no record. Nothing available, yeah. He'll probably put it out. I hope he does. And then. um, What is it like? It started out. I mean, it was it was cool where it ended up, and it was really cool where it started. It was very seventies, kind of like bread or something, you know, oh, like very oh. acousticy. His oh, voice oh. was just golden. It's oh. just oh, he's like I get these songs from him, and I'm just like, man, dude, you murder the mic, you know, it's just wow. beautiful. It got heavier because we had Dave, Dave, what was his name? The guy who produced the. He produces the uh, he produced like one of the Tame Impala records and Flaming Lips. Wow. I forget his name right now, but anyway, okay. he produces kind of got us heavier sounding. Yeah, um, but which is cool. I really dig it. But it started out very acoustic key, uh-huh. and that's um, not what I was expecting to hear. Not at all. Yeah, wow. Oh man, it's like most people I played it to. Like, what yeah. the fuck is this? Yeah. Like, he's just into that. He wrote all the songs. And then, but as it developed, we all started inputting more. So it started not sounding like that. And then the producer kind of got us to sound more rock. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, then it just fell apart. And then, um, you know, then I just continued to tour with Deltron. So I spent like two and a half years playing in Deltron 3030, huh. which is a hip hop group. Yeah, yeah. And so it's the automator who I know from the early 90s that I used to record with him all the time. And we made, you know, he made, but like I played bass on the first Dr. Octagon yeah. record. And he would always give me these, like, hey, I'm going to go out and tour. Do you want to do this? And I'd be like, oh, you know, either I could do it or I couldn't do it. So he, it, is he on the first Dr. Octagon record? or, or? Automator. Yeah. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. the producer. Okay. So he does. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's like the <laughs> obvious. Knows. So yeah. he was like, this is my homie. Have him play bass. No, I mean, I he was nobody when I met him. Uh-huh. He was just producing, like, doing remixes and shit. And so I was just playing on a ton of shit for him. And then he would just go make rec- beats and shit. And then he'd make Keith. And he used some of that, but he had all this other shit he had. And so he made the first Octagon record. And after that, he blew up. I and mean, yeah. we were going to, we were rehearsing with the Scratch Pickles. It was like the original Scratch Pickles. Yeah. So it was Mike and, 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 and D Styles and fucking Qbert. Um, the, the, one of the other original dudes. Disc? 
was it? Maybe, yeah, disc. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, and so they were the band. I was on bass. Jim Greer, who's a pretty, you know, well doing well producer right now. Um, he was guitar, like utility dude. Um, we had this dude playing percussion and flute. Automator played the beats and played violin. We had like break dancers who were going to break dance. We were going oh. out on Lollapalooza. We had all this Beck touring we were going to do. This is the Dr. Octagon. Yeah, yeah in yeah, the okay. early 90s. Yeah. And then Keith never showed up to rehearsals. <laughs> We'd wait every day. Nope, I'd be up there rehearsing for like a week. No, Keith, go home, go home. Come back a couple months later. Keith's here. Oh, okay, cool. Wouldn't show up. And then, uh-huh. so I'd never see him. And we never, and it never hit touring. Like, I got a call. No, no, it was like, I was flying out the next day and I go fuck I don't have my boarding pass or any flight info so I call the manager up I go hey I need my flight info she goes oh shit you didn't hear and I go what she goes we're not doing the tour everything's cancelled I'm like what nobody told me she goes oh I'm sorry nobody told me and so I didn't go out on it there was nothing to go out on I was like Lollapalooza wiped Beck Dates wiped all the shit wiped and then you know so the automator continued to make really you know, great records, you know, Handsome Boy Modeling School, Peeping uh-huh. Tom. He'd ask me to do tours, and sometimes I could do it, sometimes I couldn't. And he asked me to do Deltron in the beginning, but I couldn't. And so he got this other dude, and then he made the first Deltron record. So you, when did you come in? On the second record? No, yeah, the second record, uh-huh. and that's it. The second record's 10 years after uh-huh. the first record, so Whoa. it's like completely oh, different. I didn't realize that. I mean, he called me for the, or the, his manager called me for the Gorillas when he was doing that. Um, to play bass um, when he did the first Gorillaz record. Um, they didn't do much touring with that. Uh-huh. Um, Are you on that record? No, no. I didn't, I'm not on that record. Uh-huh. He didn't use any uh, real musicians, I don't think, on that record. Uh-huh. And then, um, and then you know, we finally reconnected 10 years later when he was touring on the, on the Deltron record. And then we, we cut a new Octagon record. And so that's what I've been touring on this year. Yeah. Um, you know, who knows? Like, hip-hop's weird, you know, like, Keith just I mean they they just got Octagon just got like one of the most anticipated records coming out in hip hop wow. which is cool for I'm by Rolling Stone though not like yeah. Source or something yeah. but but you know it's always yeah. appealed to you know the other audience sure. I think I think the you know Keith Keith I think way more into the whole idea of the band and the and that kind of concept where I maybe well he wasn't into that in the beginning uh-huh. Um, I remember they told me like like you know somebody had said something like why don't you want to do uh, the touring um, like Lollapalooza touring back in the '90s and he was like I don't want to play for a bunch of corny white kids you know or something like yeah, that was yeah, like yeah. the thing yeah. they told me and I was just like it's just like now it's That's just a like, great answer though yeah <laughs> because he doesn't un- he didn't understand who was who was falling in love with his like he was yeah. like fucking New York rap yeah. you know and it's like. You know, did you but see I, that? Did you see that Dre thing recently? The, the, the what is it? It's Dre and Jimmy Iovine HBO special. No. It's the same thing. Like they interview Snoop and they were like, "Oh, hey Snoop, we want you to be on the cover of Rolling Stone." He's like, "Fuck Rolling Stone! I want to be on the cover of the Source. Fuck you know, blah blah yeah, blah." Uh, you know, and then next thing you know, it's like he's on the cover of Source. He goes, "Next thing you know, all these white kids are like, know who I am." Yeah, because you know? they don't get, they don't think that people are, are going to be into them, hmm, and then they yeah. are. You know what I mean? But I remember like kind of discovering the first Doctor Octagon, and it was like all my punk friends were kind of into it, you know. I think maybe even Sonny K turned me yeah, on to it or something you right. know, when it first came out. And I was like, dude, this is weird, you know. And you listen to it, and there's like even a shout out about Spaz on that yeah. record or whatever. Yeah, and you then know? there's also like Puzzhead did the artwork, artwork yeah, yeah, and yeah. like on the new record, um, 
the guy from Exit is Gary, who's in Slayer now. He's on the new record. Uh-huh. So are you on the new record? Yeah. Okay. So oh. it's like it's it's, it's dark, it's heavy, Rad. but it's hip hop and yeah. it's Keith yeah. and he's wild on yeah. the mic and that's the thing is too is like these <clears throat> lyrics are so fucked. I don't understand them. And that was kind of like that to me. The I, I was like this is like you know there was all these weird metaphors and like shit that didn't wasn't obvious. Which I feel like no offense to you know hip hop in general but a lot of the lyrics are pretty obvious you know right. and you want to, I was like what the hell is this guy talking about and yeah. I felt like I was listening to like you know all the Airborne Radar or like right. you know, all the weird right. shit that we right. were all into you know like he's a super stream of consciousness I mean I was around when they were cutting the vocals for the second record recently and I was just like fuck he's just like it's yeah. just like you know, you can tell it's like what's in, coming in his head is something that he's taking in at the moment wow. or in that time frame of when he's making the record. Oh. So he's just, yeah, he's he's dope. He was, and he, like, on tour, he was fucking busting out. I didn't know he was a fucking, like, legendary breaker. Yeah. And oh. so he starts breaking his shit live, and I'm like, what? I saw yeah, some of that sh- video. Yeah, yeah, dude, it was yeah. dope. And, you know, then b around Qbert, like, fuck, mm-hmm. he's, because he's the DJ in Octagon, yeah. man, he's ripping it, just fucking it was dude it was like cause I was yeah. I'm so I just like like once I got into hip hop I would listen to other shit but hip hop was always the first thing I'd go for yeah. and, it, and there was a live drummer yeah yeah full live band and so there. yeah it was yeah. just like you know it's just weird to, and I'm still like I still do Deltron shows we have some coming up in September still doing Octagon like we're playing Outside Lands but uh-huh. You know, I finally got to do hip hop. Now I get to do more hip hop. I play yeah. on a lot of hip hop shit now. You know, like L.A. rap shit, yeah. and, which is cool. You know, it's always what I wanted to do. Like I, I kind of just got out of you know after playing, you know, Mars Volta. Even though I was still doing some hip hop stuff, not as much. Now I just get to do hip hop. I'm a fuck yeah. It doesn't pay as much as being in a rock band, yeah. but fuck, it's what I want to do. Sure, you know wow, what I mean? yeah. Huh. And it's like I continue, you know, like I'll get calls from producers like, you know, like Mario will call me up or whoever. Like they need, you know, bass and yeah. I know how to play that style of bass, sure. you know. Wow, that's great. So we'll see. We'll see. You know, like right now, slow year, like I'm all fuck. I hope one of these dudes wants to tour <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> more than what we're doing. <laughs> so let's make it let's take a little bit of a jump to the pedals mm-hmm. and effects thing. So so like. How did you start that? And also, did Nick also start it with you? Or? No, no. I started it five years ago. I saw that the band was going to end, Mars Volta Meaning, uh-huh. and so I built a studio, and I, you know, just said I got to keep myself busy. I figured I'd, you know, have, you know, whatever project I could, re- you know, record in there and rehearse in there. Uh-huh. And then I thought I'd, I'll shoot this thing. I, I was on tour with Mars Volta last year, and I was like, Guy came in, like we were backstage bored out of our fucking minds, and I was like, pedals and effects, huh? And I Googled it, and nobody had it. I'm like, fuck, I bought it right then and there. Uh-huh. I'm like, fuck, I'll start a review site, because it's all review sites are guitar oriented at the, that time, five years ago. I'm like, I'll be the first dude who does a legit bass one, like uh-huh. like a bass, like I play bass, like, yeah. like play some wild ass shit. You know, dudes will get, like, I'm trying to help like bass players go, you don't have to just play traditional bass and then be unemployed the rest of your fucking life. Like let's <laughs> elevate the fucking instrument. Yeah, you know what sure. I mean? And so, so I started my site and it, you know, it was all right in the first couple of years. You know, I, I don't make a lot of money. I do banner ads and shit, but, and then, you know, I was like, I gotta have guitar. And then Nick moved to LA 
and he came into the studio and I filmed him and I, I didn't I've never seen his band or anything Whoa. I just knew he's dope uh -huh. I just everybody told me like Zach Hill told me oh, oh yeah, they yeah, call yeah, him the kid yeah. and they go the kid's fucking <laughs> ripper Jonathan would tell me uh -huh. he came in he started ripping shit in front of me and I'm like dude and I started to go no we're not going to interview I want to just video you doing this uh -huh. and so that video did really well and he kept doing them and I said hey do you want to do these with me because uh -huh. I need a dude who thinks like me but on guitar to do the reviews and it's like fuck yeah, yeah. so now you know, we do them together. Then he started inputting on content. He was like, let's do 100 pedals. I'm like, that's a great idea because every time I do clinics, kids go, what does it sound like when you turn them all on? Yeah. And I'm like, uh -huh, it sounds like shit, you dumbasses. Yeah. But then it's like, actually, I don't mean it that mean. But yeah, I'm like, sure. in my head, I'm just like, don't you know? Yeah. But then I'm like, fuck, maybe they don't know. So then we're, I was like, you're right, Nick. So we plugged in 100, 20, 40, 60 sound yeah. cool. 70 started getting a little crazy. After that, it's all white noise. Sounds like yeah. shit, yeah. you know. But yeah. the video went viral, and then that skyrocketed us to a new level. We were like, dope. So that was like the first huge viral. One. Yeah. yeah, we wow. got like three hundred thousand hits in like a week. Wow. And then, um, it's funny. It really reminded me of like the '77 drummers, and the, you know, like yeah, you know, right. you know those things. Right. Um, so I was yeah. like, wow, it's like that, but with pedals. So it seems like more, you know, a little yeah. bit more cohesive. And it just gets wilder with Nick, and you know, he has such great ideas, and so we try out shit. We got a lot of shit like we're gonna do, and then you know, anybody's building wild shit wants to get the pedals to us because we they know that our audience will buy shit without question. You know, mm -hmm. like, I, it's, and it's not even so much because they like our musicianship it's just because they trust our taste sure. and so they'll just be like oh fuck like i can post a photo of something and then dude will go that maker will go fuck i just got like 10 orders by you just posting a photo yeah well, i'm like yeah because kids just like oh i trust i trust this dude he, he knows what's so, up it's so funny when we did the when we did the episode together and we talked about that shitty boss distortion right. overdrive you're like right. watch this is gonna sell you know i'm like fuck that's crazy like that sucks because I'm not like the biggest boss fan. You right, know? It right. wasn't even like something I sought out. It just kind of like stuck with me or whatever. I mean, but. it's kids because they don't, you know, like they're they're out there and, you know, the YouTube world's all new to people. It's still, I think, very frontierish, mm -hmm. you know, like, yes, there's things that are very established, but it's still frontierish to where like you can find out a lot of shit on that fucking thing, you know, yeah. so like. <laughs> Oh shit! I didn't know there was a pedal that made that sound. Yeah, because most of these dudes are just wanking on a fucking you know blues lick. Sure. And Nick and I are trying to figure out how flipped out can this fucking yeah, pedal go, yeah. and you know how do you use that in a band? Sure. And shit, you know, like a lot of times I'll go out there and I'll wild out on a hip hop track. Yeah. That's a that's a bass synth sound that they can't get with any synthesizer. Sure. But so it's I'm, you know try to help all these kids move into a world where they can keep working as yeah. opposed to like, you know what, if you keep just playing straight bass, you're, you're limiting your sure. opportunities. It's almost, I mean, <clears throat> your effects are almost as important as, you know, the, the bass you're playing or whatever, right. you know, like, right. um, it's crazy. Uh, and I, I always trip it out, I always trip out on like, like the, what what brought me into like really playing bass was no means no and how it was like such upfront and it was like this sort of, it wasn't like done I mean it wasn't like weird sounding necessarily like the the tone of the bass but it was it was such a it was such a like, kind of like it wasn't just the background you know instrument right. it was like right. front. but right. then I remember like kind of you know getting the bass but even like more recent stuff like even thinking about like um you know the the basses for lightning bolt Brian like his um, yeah his rig is like no offense to his rig, but it's like junk. But right. that makes it so fucking 
cool and innovative, you know, and right, like, or right. even like going beyond the base, like, like bands like black dice, like all their mm-hmm. shit was just like, you just look at it and you're like, it looks like, you know, like, uh, like garbage. But <laughs> yeah, I remember know. seeing Baz and that dude's room yeah. and I just be like, is that shit going to make it through the set? So totally. It's yeah. just like, you know, you, they, you just deal with the, the shit going out yeah. and whatever. Yeah. I mean, when Mars Volta, I think at the peak of my pedals on stage, I think it was like 42. So wow. imagine you're going to 42. You're going to have something that's going to so go you, down. So you did that. Yeah. Huh? Fuck yeah. it. I had four, like three and a half foot pedal boards wow. on stage. So I had one facing the drums, one facing the audience, one behind me facing Ike, and then one on top of my rig. So Whoa. these. And you used all of it or just in hell case? Hell yeah. Because we were like, you know, because, you know, there's so much in between and there's so much yeah. like, okay, now we just do space jam for 10 minutes. So yeah. it's like, all right, here I go. And so you like, can do whatever. Yeah. For uh-huh. 10 minutes, he's yeah. dropping yeah. shit. Boom, boom, boom. You know, like, Whoa. yeah. So, so that was cool. You know? And then by the end we were like cutting back, you know, you can't bring four, you can bring one. And then yeah. it was like, <laughs> all the gear shrunk. Yeah. But like at that time, fuck my, I think, they told me like I had more weight in the touring than anything. They more than the drums, which Whoa. is ridiculous for yeah. bass. But I had two big bass rigs, four giant pedal boards, six basses, Whoa. backup heads, backup speakers. Yeah. And they were just like, "Fuck, you need all this?" I'm like, oh, "Just in case." Yeah, you know, yeah it's just course. like it's like if you're gonna let me go crazy, I'm gonna fucking bring it all. Wow. You know. So it was it was rad, but yeah, it was all from that spirit of just trying to like just be innovative or uh-huh. just you know something new, whatever you know. Wow. I, you know, it's the same thing with hip hop. Same with everything I like. I I just like shit that does new shit. I'm not a nostalgia dude. I mean, I'll listen to like Motown or stuff if I want nostalgia, uh-huh. but like anything new, like I want to hear something I haven't heard yet, and then have me get excited. Same thing, cinema yeah. or anything. You just want to. Oh fuck, progress. Yeah, sure, right? sure. It's like I, said, I know this is a tough time in the world, but like I can't believe people are afraid of progress. I mean, not most people we know, yeah. but. Yeah. wherever the fuck else in this sure. country that they don't want us to progress. Yeah. It's like, no, that's what it's all about. Like, yeah. we're supposed to fucking move forward. Yeah, sure. But music too. Music should be moving forward. Like, I don't want it stuck. Yeah, I want it, yeah. you know, I back, I, I swear, I get in all the time because I'm older, like, getting these music schools or some shit and there's always the old dudes going, oh, these new kids just put on YouTube and learn how to play. I had them do it on a record. I'm like, fuck you. Like, yeah. They got the tech, they have the new technology. Yeah. Let them, they're going to get, they're going to create new shit yeah. that you would have never come Love, across yeah. on a fucking vinyl. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if it's YouTube, fuck it. Yeah, you can learn how to play an instrument at the highest level just watching YouTube. Yeah. Fuck yes. Fuck, I wish I had it. Yeah. They're just sour grapes. Me, I'm just like, yo, kids, use YouTube, get better faster and do new shit give the world new shit it's funny that you said that because i remember when i was younger and i first got a bass and i I went to one lesson and then uh the bass the instructor was like you can't play it with a pick and i was like why i want to play really fast and he's like bass players don't do that and like i remember kind of walking out of there being like what the fuck like i'm pretty sure all the bands i like you know, and and and, I, and, I, and but I couldn't. There was no YouTube. There was no internet. You know, right. but I would just I went and went home, looked through all these like old punk magazines and stuff, and I'm like, those guys are all playing with bass. Like, there's no fucking way about that. You awesome. know, that's yeah, such a weird thing. Yeah, we had to do that. We had to do magazines. It's all information was slower. Sure. Now they yeah. just like go. Oh, I'm into you know whatever. I'm it's into- like they want to. It's like the you know, the current administration being like, we're going to have all these coal mining jobs. It's like, that shit's dead. You know, You're like dumbass. the, the yeah. old way of, of even looking at music is dead. I mean, right. it, you know, you, you, you have the ability to, re- I mean, I, I think 
it's one thing that you know like have like the analog argument or something but like music theory and what people are capable of as far as musicianship or not even like because musicianship is such a um it's such a vague thing too, you know, because right. it's art, it's subjective. Like it, right. musicianship to one person could be garbage to the other. I mean, dude, I've read more reviews of the locust than, than not where they were like, that is garbage. I could do that with fucking one hand. And it's like, yeah, right, dude. I, you know, I, it's, I could barely do it with two. I would love to see someone do it with one, you know, whatever. So it's crazy to think about that because right. that was kind of like going back to the whole Mars Volta thing too. I was like, geez, how come this is acceptable on such a mainstream level? Like, it, like with the red hot chili peppers in, in, is an example. I was thinking like, there's no way people are liking that band on tour with red hot chili peppers just because of the, their fan base. They're, they're the ones that are like, you know, like I said, like trying to keep their coal mining jobs or whatever, yeah, you know, I mean, we a, definitely get booed uh, and, you know, long haired, Baggage, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, flipping yeah. us off, throwing coins, which yeah. is always the worst. Coins hurt, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> Better and, than bottles, that's a, a yeah, yeah, I, you know. But it was like we definitely got booed. I mean, I can't even remember if there was ever a show where people were stoked on us. I mean, one show DeAntony couldn't do it was a Halloween show in Cleveland, and so we had to make up a plan. So the plan was fly out Thomas Pridgen and <laughs> have him just like not know we were going to let him play. And hey, we're gonna go jam in this back room. And so Omar had this riff, and we worked on that riff with him. And he's like, "You like that riff?" And Tom's like, "Yeah, it's cool." And he's like, "Cool, we're gonna go play it on stage." He's like, "What? Right now?" And he's like, "Yeah." So we go out there. It was just a riff. Cedric had no lyrics or anything. Cedric goes out into the audience while we play this riff for like thirty minutes, twenty, thirty minutes. So you just see like Cedric throughout the arena, just beers in the air. He just grabbed people's beers out of their hands. Yeah. And in the air they would go. I'd see yeah. them all the way at the back of the arena, beers right. up in the air. And no one like kicked his ass or anything. They're booing. They're fuck. What is this? Ah, fuck you. Yeah. You know. And Cedric was just like in their face, just doing his fucking. Did thing. he sing it all? Not a fucking note. <laughs> I mean, you know, he might have. No, I take that back. He sang like for a second in the beginning, just uh -huh. you know, ad libbing, and then it was like so mic up in the air out in the audience you know wow and we did that shit a lot like you know if he was like getting sick he would just like sing a little uh -huh. go out in the audience start yeah. fucking throwing oh, shit doing that's great. shit you know but... I mean you watch like there's that whole Red Chili Peppers I think it was like on some MTV show where they you see them like throwing their their instrument like they're not playing their lips you know oh, right. you know, you know right, performing right, right. and it's like damn that's really cool so they must get they must get it to some extent but that's wild because i did these stupid shows with the bloody beat roots and it was like you know it was like 15,000 people or something and um I remember, you know, the, the, those guys, the, the Bloody Beaver, were like, you have to stage dive, you have to be punk, and, you, you know, all this garbage. It was stupid. But point is, I would go out in the audience, and people start fucking punching me in the dick. And, like, oh. at one point, I mean, I had one pair of shoes. Motherfucker takes my shoe off. And I'm like, dude, that's not happening, because we were about to get on a plane and fly to another festival. And so here I am, like, my whole objective is, like, that white, pasty, motherfucking Australian guy has my van, my slip-on van, and I was just fucking him up. Like, give me my shoe, dude. I'm a, I can't believe this, you know? And, like, That's so how does Cedric, you know, like, to, it seems like Red Hot Chili Pepper fans would be just, like, relentless, especially if you're throwing people's beers. Yeah. I was just singing. I just staged over and singing. I'm like, no, that guy stole my shoe. You, know, well, you like, know, one of the craziest ones I remember was we played Madison Square Garden in 2003, and we finished playing, and... We're walking off, and there was this group of dudes as we we're walking off stage left, going, and they were yelling. And John starts 
fucking flipping them off. And they were like, blah, blah. And John starts going. I mean, they were flipping John off. So John flipped them off. And then they started going, come here, fuck. And yeah. John's like, you come here. And he's like pointing him to come down. And they start coming down. And of course, our crew's like, get the fuck off. What are you guys doing? But yeah. I'm like, I just, you know, I'm only in the band for like three weeks. And I'm just like, <laughs> what the fuck this is? And then, you know, like multiply that by, I don't know, 30 times that it happened where... Yeah. Opening up for Perfect Circle, and Omar takes his guitar off, and you know swings at it like he's he knows he's not going to hit the dude, but yeah. that dude doesn't doesn't know. know yeah. And so you yeah. see the dude getting on, and Omar's laughing at the guy, for yeah. like getting all scared. <laughs> I think that was in yeah. Amarillo, Texas. Well, and, oh yeah, you know, and we're just we would get booed all the time. Yeah. You know, Europe it would happen. It just. You know, it's because it was different. But I mean, that's good that, when you were opening, yeah, you were and, never like that. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, like, like that's what I loved about that band, man. When I joined it, I was like, this shit is dope. One, it's fucking Latino dudes, of course, and John's and Ike weren't, but like yeah. the front dudes were Latino dudes, and I was like, that's dope. Sometimes the lyrics are in Spanish. That's dope. Uh-huh. And then they don't give a fuck, and they're like wearing tight pants and <laughs> bell bottoms, yeah, yeah, you know, and and shit. And I'm just like, if people are calling them bag and whatever and yeah. i'm just like going it's all constantly it was like fuck you to the yeah. audience constantly yeah. oh you don't want us to play fucking one song we're gonna play one song yeah totally, it was yeah. testing yeah. them yeah, you know what i mean you i know? love that yeah i mean you're you're gonna see that i'm sure with mike i mean when you start doing your dead cross shit. oh sure oh yeah. i somebody told me like the last thing he toured one of the bands tomahawk whenever he plays something at the beginning before they go on it's like 15 minutes just to fucking test the audience oh like, yeah people get like upset yeah yeah because the automator is really good friends with Mike. yeah and he was like yeah yeah mike just like loves to fuck with the audience yeah, and he's great and like somebody i know was there and they said they knew he had, he was going to do that but he said yeah you watch the audience and it's like the fuck is this music i forget yeah. it's like maybe some kind of african chant or yeah, some shit yeah. it gets louder and he yeah. did it when retox toured with tomahawk but it wasn't that annoying but really but, but if i was like a regular person probably like be like this right sucks, right you know? exactly that's what yeah. i mean like yeah. if you're you know square one yeah, of square fans sure. you're gonna be like fuck <laughs> this yeah. i mean deltron 3030 we play this tennis match that goes on for like like 15 minutes it's like punk punk because eventually <laughs> it ends on 3030 but it right. But it's just like like to test the audience. Automators does that same shit. He's just like watching the people getting like irritated. Like, is this fucking gonna end? Yeah. And it's just boom. Oh, what a great shot. You know, it's just like yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, tennis yeah, talk. Yeah. It's it's pretty funny, but fuck, I'm sure like I'd probably eventually go, I right, get the you fuck play, on the stage. You played the audio of a tennis match. Yeah. Before we go on. <laughs> punk. Punk. And That's then the great. commentaries was the funniest. Uh-huh. It's just the way they talk about it. And oh, did you see that? You know, because it's I think it's two women. Oh yeah. Game, so it's just kind like you can take it sexually. Yeah, sure. So it's pretty funny. Wow. <laughs> Man, that's great. Thanks for listening to Colton Culture. Uh, yep. Stay tuned for our next episode.